0: Preacher writes, Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide your portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what unfortunate or misfortune may occur on the earth. If the clouds are full, they pour forth rain upon the earth, and whether the tree falls toward the south or toward the north, whatever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning, do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed, or whether both of them alike will be good. We're coming to the end of Ecclesiastes, and this is where Solomon begins his wind-up, And I'm looking forward to it only because, in many ways, it's so different than other books. I was talking to Tristan on the way to church, and that, you know, when we go through letters in the New Testament, oftentimes there are these last sections that are just greetings, say hi to so-and-so, tying up loose ends. But really there isn't a whole lot of depth, but Solomon doesn't do that. He carries us all the way to the very end, and he gives us some powerful things to think about. He reminds us in chapter 11, verse 5, that God is the one who makes all things. Chapter 12, verse 1, He is our creator. Chapter 12, verse 14, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So he gives us some powerful things to think upon, but I want to go backwards a little bit because one of the things that Solomon helped us to see was that life was truly not monotonous, that it's filled with changing situations that come from God. From one season to the next, God is in control of them. Each has its own time and each has its own purpose in our life. We may not always understand in that moment what God is doing, but we need to just acknowledge the fact that He is at work. He reminds us of this fact in verse 5. There are things that we just don't know. We may know things about the great plan of God and the big picture of things, but there's a lot of details that we really don't understand or know about what God is doing. We don't know all that He's doing behind the scenes of our life, but we know He's at work. Solomon helps us to understand the the certainty of death. This is a thought that he keeps coming back to, and he's not going to leave it when he comes to the end of this book, and therefore we're challenge to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us in life. Or as the Apostle Paul would put it twice in Ephesians and in Colossians, that we must redeem the time, buy up every moment of our life to do things that serve the kingdom of God. It's always an exhortation to me because when I look at my weeks, sometimes I look back and I look at wasted time time that I wasted just frivolously doing things for myself rather than serving the kingdom of God or investing myself in the lives of others. All of life he helps us to understand is a stewardship from God and one day he will call us into account as he reflects on in chapter 12, verse 14. But this isn't something that's going to be left aside. When we come to the New Testament, we find the exact same truth as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things that we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. We all will give an accounting. As a dear friend of mine would say, we are all going to have an exit interview. We will all stand before God and account for the things that we do in this life. This isn't an issue of whether or not you're going to get into heaven or hell for us as believers. We already know the outcome of that. But we still must answer for what we do or don't do. The sins of commission and the sins of omission. And whether or not the things that we did are worth anything, whether they are gold or silver or straw, all of these things will be meted out for us before God. But Solomon has helped us to see, hopefully, for all of us, that life can be enjoyed to the glory of God. I was thinking about just things that, that I've enjoyed in life. <laughs> I was thinking back as I was pondering on this truth, simple things that we partake of. That sometimes we fail to, to acknowledge God's hand in that or just to delight in it. And sometimes we need to go back and reflect on these things. So I remember we were sitting in Russia and so my wife brought this box cake with us when we moved there. She just simple things that she packed up and brought with us It's something that you could carry. Right. And it's interesting. So we had this party with all these other missionaries and some of the friends from the church nearby. And so she decided to bake this cake. Now I'm a chocoholic and I thank my mom for that. It's her influence in my life. I don't like anything vanilla. You can keep it unless you put chocolate syrup on it. I'm not going to eat it. But she made this vanilla cake, but it had like this confetti in it, right? And I'm looking at this thing thinking, all right, whatever, you know, it's what we got. So she makes this cake and everyone gets a piece and all I can hear in the room, it's full of people and they're all, oh, mm. and no one's talking, but they're just oohing and awing over this thing. And I'm like, what's wrong with these people? Right. And then I take a bite. And I'm like, man, where's this been all my life? And I realized the things that we were deprived of when we moved there. They had bakeries, but man, let me just tell you, it was like eating cardboard. Everything looked good behind the glass, but when you ate it, it was terrible. And all of a sudden now we have this moist cake vanilla with sprinkles in it, and it was so good. God gives us these moments in life, right? In the midst of hardship, moments where we just stop and we can enjoy those moments. And a brother used to walk around with a frown all the time. And I'm like, what's the matter? And he really wanted everyone to know that he was serious about his walk with life. And I said, but God has also given us life to enjoy. It's a gift. And when you wear a frown, when he's giving you something to delight in and you wear a frown, you're not acknowledging the giver of that gift. He is a good God and he wants us to enjoy this life. So if I could, these are the thoughts that we are going to encounter, and we're only going to hang on this first one. Life, it's an adventure, so live by faith. That is the first thing that Solomon is going to deal with in chapter 11. Life is a gift, so we must enjoy it. Life is a school, right? The school of hard knocks. I went to the university, but I learned a lot in life. <laughs> and those schools were totally different. And life is a stewardship. Stewardship. And therefore, we must fear God. And this is where he's going to take us at the end and the conclusion, verses 13 and 14. But go with me, and this is the overall thought for this section, chapter 11, verse 1 through 12, 14. It is live life and glorify God. And all the aspects of our life and all the things that we go through, we must live this life. Live it. I mean, and this is what he's going to call us to do, to live life. Don't waste it. Get out there and do something. Serve. Allow yourself to be stretched and expanded for the sake of the work of God upon this earth. Allow yourself to be used by Him. So often we limit ourselves and we limit our abilities and our resources and all of these things. And we try to hang on to this. We become, as I say, we become reservoirs rather than conduits. We take all these blessings from God and we hang on to them for ourselves that somehow we might enjoy them later at some other point in our life, which we don't even know is going to come. We store up for years down the line, but we don't even know how many years we have left. And we hang on to all of this stuff when we could be using it, right? Right? I'm really going to serve God when I retire. <laughs> but right now I just got to do the job. So Solomon is going to help us to understand that life is an adventure and therefore it must be lived by faith. And this interesting section is, is, stands out from all the others because it, there is this sustained encouragement that we must act. That we must do things. There's a series of commands that run all the way through here. And so we're going to talk about how we need to live in all these various ways. And it climaxes in chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, which is one long sentence. And then we have these series of befores in chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 6, where we're reminded about the fact of death and the need that we need to live life without dragging our heels. Now, we know that our life is not to be characterized by rash decisions. We need to think through things and so on. But we also are not to be given to procrastination. We are not to think upon things so much so that we become immobile, that we become stasis, that we become fixed, and we don't do anything. And sometimes we do this. We so overthink something that we don't even act. And sometimes we have waited so long that the moment has passed for us to serve God in His kingdom. So Solomon is going to help us to understand in our life that there are things that we need to think about. And one of them is that we, too, need to live life. So I couldn't do this. I have to give a nod to William Wallace. This was a statement he made before the Battle of Sterling Bridge. Although in the movie it's placed elsewhere, but this is where it really happened. He said this, every man dies, but not every man really lives. This is what Solomon is going to exhort us to. Do we really live our life? Do we have a balance in our life? Some people concentrate so much on trying to be productive and achieving something that they seem not to enjoy life at all, but others, they seem to enjoy life so much so that they're not thinking about producing anything for the kingdom of God or availing themselves to do so. We understand that life by God is His design as it is to be productive and also that it is to be enjoyable. So Solomon is going to take us on this journey. He begins with a life of faith, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 11. And everything could be summarized in this section by this word faith. Live by faith, not by sight. It's such a profound thing. It seems so basic for us as believers, right? How many times have we heard this saying? But how often do we live like this? We're always looking for the empirical evidence of things. Show me that you're going to before I act, right? Show me how you have everything in control and show me how you're gonna work all of this out before I move. Then what happens to trust? What happens to faith? What happens to relying upon God? When we see everything before us, then we don't need to walk in God's trust. We don't need to rely upon Him. We don't need to have faith, right? Because we see everything before us. But everything in life we know doesn't work that way. So Solomon's going to help us to see as he takes us through this section, verse 3, that it takes faith to live where you land. Live where you're at in life. So often we find ourselves waiting for something better to come. Then I'll really be productive. I remember a group of us, we were all heading out on the mission field. Some were going to France, some to Russia, some to other places. And so we're met with the pastor, my father, and the elders of the church. And so we're having this discussion and there was another brother who was joining the meeting and he had thoughts of going out of the mission field. He wanted to go to the Czech Republic. So the elders asked him, so what do you do? Like when you go on the mission field, what are your thoughts about what you're going to do? And he said, I'm going to go and make disciples, right? This is what we're supposed to do. And so one of the leaders asked him, he says, do you do that now? Well, no, I'm working and I'm really busy and I'm putting in a lot of hours. I have school loans that I have to pay off and all of this stuff. So no, I'm not doing it now. So the elder asked him, if you're not doing it now, what makes you think you're going to do it then? If we're not productive where we are now, what makes us think we're going to be productive later in life? And if we're waiting for everything to be perfect, not going to happen. Verse four, he who watches the wind will not sow and he who looks to the clouds will not reap. You keep looking for that perfect moment. Guess what? We live in an imperfect world. It's not coming. It's not coming. It's going to take faith for us to live without hesitation. It's going to take faith for us to live submissively. And it's going to take faith for us to live diligently in life. So live by faith is the first exitation that we have. And there are two images that Solomon is going to use here. One of commerce, shipping of goods, and the other one is farming, sowing, and reaping. The first one comes in verses one and two. Cast your bread upon the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. Divide the portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what misfortune may occur on the earth. Spread out your investments, right? Now what's interesting about the imagery here, we'll talk about this in a moment, that the way that Solomon refers to these things and the terminology he uses, he is helping us to understand that it shouldn't just be limited to this, that it is a general principle that we can apply to life overall. So it's not just about commerce, but this is sort of where he begins us, so that we sort of get ourselves in a frame of mind here. So we understand a merchant sending out chips in verses 1 and 2 and a farmer who is sowing seed. There's two things they have in common. They must exercise faith because they don't control all the circumstances of their life. This is hard for us to understand when we work any other jobs other than this. There's a friend of mine in Alabama. He's growing trees. He's got five different types he's trying to raise up. And then he has hay, but he's doing these trees. And so we're there and he's praying for rain. Otherwise, he's going to have a huge water bill because he's going to have to water it using the water from his house, from his well. And he doesn't want to have to do that. And so who does he look to for the sending of rain? He must look to God. The farmer, he plants the seed. He depends on God for it to grow. He looks to God for the harvest. We go to the grocery store. We have everything from all over the world. We don't have to depend on God. I can have fruit out of season. (laughs) You see what I mean? So this is why Solomon takes us here, because it's so easy for us to completely just dismiss, right? The need for faith in our life. The need to trust God. See, that paycheck comes every time, all the time, at the right time. It's always there, has always been there. Sometimes we forget who's in control of all of this stuff. So, the friend of mine, He left a job that he was at. He was going to go to where he thought it was greener grass, and I told him, I said, look, man, it looks like it's greener grass over there, but when you get there, it's going to be astroturf. It's not for real, man, but he had to do it anyway. So he goes and takes this other job, and it definitely was AstroTurf. It was nothing he thought it would be, and so he left that job, and now he has nothing. He's putting his resume out everywhere, and nothing is coming. But during that time, he experienced the care and love of God in his life. God provided for him in ways he could have never imagined. And he was always sharing stories, and then all of a sudden, one day, he gets a job. And he says, I'm so glad because I'm never going back there again. And I said, to what? To not trusting and being dependent on God? If that's what this job is going to do to you, be ready. He's going to take it away from you again. Because obviously you haven't learned your lesson. We must walk by faith, not by sight. Merchants, they risk a lot. There's the reef, there's storms, right? There's pirates, they can lose their cargo. This is why the, the instruction comes in verse 2 to divide up your portion and send it out to multiple places because you never know what's going to happen. Farmers, they run risk. Bad weather, drought, too much rain, blight, locust insect infestation. They lose their crop. This is the thought in verse 3. It can go either way. It can be clouds that are full of blessing or it can be clouds of torrential downpour that's going to ruin everything. Solomon leaves it a little bit vague for us. because he wants us to grasp the general principle. But the merchant and the farmer, if they waited for ideal circumstances, they'd never get anything done. They'd be waiting. And here's the reality of this is that Solomon helps us to understand there's risk in life. There are hazards. There are dangers. And this sometimes holds us back from being used by God in greater ways in our life because we're so afraid of what the future holds or what we don't know about the future, right? I don't know what's coming around the next corner. So we hold back. We hang on. We keep to ourselves. I don't want to overinvest. I don't want to overinvest my things. I don't want to overinvest my time. I don't want to overinvest myself and my life. We want to hang on to these things. Life is full of risks. Think about the Apostle Paul. What if he didn't face risks in his life? What if he wasn't willing to go through hazards and difficulties? We want a safe life. We want a life that there's no risk involved. But that is not the Christian life. Think about all that Paul reveals about what he went through in 2 Corinthians 11. All the suffering he went through. He walked into situations where he knew there was risk. That he knew there was a potential for suffering. That he knew there was a chance of disaster. But he also knew what God can do. We keep trying to hang on and to remove as much risk from life as possible. So maybe we don't speak out about the Lord at work because we're afraid we're going to lose our job. Maybe we don't say something to our neighbor because I don't plan on moving anytime soon and I don't want to offend him. (laughs) I don't want to say something to so-and-so, or I don't want to do this, or I don't want to do that, right? For fear of what might come, we're afraid of the risk. We do this with the gospel. The gospel is offensive. Why? Because we're sinners in need of a Savior. But there's risk involved by telling people that. There's risk involved to tell them that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. People can live with the first part of that verse, but not the last part of that verse. There's no way they're going to put that last part on a t-shirt. It's too exclusive. (laughs) Right? That's discrimination. That's bigotry. You can't do that. There's risk involved. So the counsel comes from Solomon and then quickly with me he says cast your bread upon the waters or possibly send your grain upon the waters. Solomon was involved in various different types of trade and so on and so he could easily be drawing from this as an example of his own life and he would send these ships out all over the world and oftentimes he would wait months even years for their return to see what would happen. What would that require? That would require faith and patience. I must trust God. So Solomon says, but there's something that we can do. He says, you know what, we can also then spread your wealth about. Don't put everything into one venture. How often do we do this in life? The old saying, right, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but we do this. But I thought about this. This is kind of presumptuous, isn't it? That you think that this one thing is going to pay off. Maybe you think you're so smart you figured everything out that this thing is going to pay off. Like I think it's going to pay off. I've done all the work. I have sought everything out. I have factored everything in. I know all the eventualities. I know how this is going to come about. And so therefore I'm going to put everything into this one thing. And then what happens when it fails? It's a little bit of pride there, isn't it? (laughs) Maybe you send a cargo ship, seven, maybe eight of them. Some of them are bound to return with an investment. Sometimes I do this in ministry. Well, I've got one, two. I'm pouring my life into them. But maybe there's more. Maybe others need my time. Maybe others need my giftedness. Solomon says in the second part of verse 2, he says, For you do not know what misfortunes might come. And one of the thoughts that he's going to keep coming back to in this section is, Do not allow yourself to be paralyzed by the ignorance of future. There's a lot we don't know. can't tell you how many times I've taken steps in my life and I had no idea what was around the next turn. You know this, right? We've all been there. Sitting in a hotel room in, in Moscow, and I'm looking out over uh, Ismailova Square with these rundown signs from the Olympics back in the day. And, and, and I'm watching this snow coming down. Here I am in Siberia, and I'm heading towards Siberia. And I'm sitting there looking at this window, and I'm going, saying to God, What in the world did I do? I went there for seven days, came home, told my wife, We're going to Russia. Seven days. What do I know about the place? What do I know about what we're going to face when we get there? What do I know about what I'm taking my wife into? I just got married. I'm taking her out of the country. I'm planning on living here for the rest of my life. What was I thinking? How many things we don't know And that failure to know so often can paralyze us and keep us from doing anything. There is an element of generosity here. And this is where I just highlight for you how Solomon does this with the terminology he uses. Verse 2, the first word is is translated, divide your portion. It's literally give, not "tan." And he literally says this, give a serving. And this is the key that runs through here. And then he talks about the seven or even eight. This is the scriptural pattern for giving liberally and generously in life. Seven is the number of perfection. Eight is taking it one step further, right? It is above and beyond. How often do we hold back our resources in life? We could do so much more, right? We could live life. Do things that are worthwhile for the kingdom of God and yet we hold back. So what's the lesson then? Broad perspective? Bread can equal, equal anything of value to others. That which provides sustenance. Maybe it's even the issue of edification in one's life. Your giftedness, your talents, all of these things. And so the statement goes, invest your resources for the widest possible blessing. And here are some thoughts for you to ponder on. Instead of protecting, how about releasing yourself? Instead of waiting for a better day to do ministry and to serve and to build into the life of someone else, how about just do it now? Stop protecting yourself. Release yourself. Put no restrictions on what God can do in and through you. We do this, right? I, I just, This is not my thing. It's not who I am. A friend of mine came to me when I told him we were heading to Russia and he says, man, you sure this is you? (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not. No aspirations to be a teacher whatsoever, let alone in, in that kind of setting. But I told him, I said, I have to be willing to be used by God in every way that he wants to use me. And I cannot limit him and what he can do by my fears. So release yourself. Instead of hoarding, give and invest. Or in place of drifting, how about pursue something? Sometimes we're just waiting around for something to happen. There's plenty of things to do around you. You don't need programs in a church to serve and do ministry. There's plenty of needs. Just step up (laughs) and minister to those in need. You don't need a program for that. As an alternative to doubting, trust. Put yourself in situations in which you need to trust God. Depend on God. There's so much in our life where we don't need to. We can walk independently. But we're really not independent, right? We know this. In Him we live, move, and have our being. My heart doesn't beat without Him. Yes, I may take Warfarin, but I know who really keeps me alive. Don't hold back because of the unknown. Oftentimes we talk about the fact we want to be good stewards. And oftentimes I find that that's just a disguise to hide behind with our fears. We're afraid of the unknown. And therefore we're afraid to step out and just trust God. Put our faith in Him. Give much, give to many. Don't hold back. Or as well said, wise allocation, wisely allocate your resources across different ventures. Are you limiting what God can do through you in one area in your life? Is there some area where you're telling God, right, no, I can go anywhere else but here. How about verse 3, live where you land. This isn't just talking about geographical issues. Despite our ignorance of the future, which he talks about, at the end of verse two, right? We do not know which misfortune may occur upon the earth. He moves into verse three. We may not know, right? We may be ignorant of the future, but now is the time to act. Doesn't matter if we know everything. We might look around us and see that there's this ominous outlook, right? These thick clouds. They're going to pour forth rain. A storm is coming. There's unexpected events that are going to happen in life. The tree is going to fall, whether to the south, whether to the north. We don't know, but it falls and there it lies. These things happen in our life. They can hinder us from being enthusiastic about just living for God right where we are. Keep waiting to get excited and when everything is perfect and in place. Then we're never going to be excited about life. We're never going to be enthusiastic. We can't control the events even though we can see them and anticipate them. We see, right? We walk out, I can do better than the weather man. <laughs> Pay me to tell you what the weather's going to be like, right? I wouldn't mind that paycheck. <laughs> Stick your head out the window. <laughs> but for all of that, right, we still don't know what the day's going to bring. We sit there and we can see and anticipate and know, but we really don't know. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we control things. It's interesting, the more that we gain an understanding of how things are are operating in the world, the more we set God aside and say we don't need him. We have natural explanations for how things happen now, right? We've learned what happens in the womb of a woman who's pregnant. We know how all the weather systems work, right? So we're in control now. No. No, we're not. But we do this in our own life, don't we? we? We fool ourselves into thinking that somehow we have control just because we can see what we think we see is on the horizon. But sometimes those clouds are thick and black and everything, and there is not an ounce of rain that comes. Right? Nor can we precisely determine how events will work out. The tree falls where it will. We have no idea. Therefore, bloom where you're planted. Thrive where you are. Don't look for better days and different days. Just be content with where God has you right now. And if He moves you, He moves you. That's great. I've learned this in ministry, right? The church is God's garden. He can pick up someone and transplant them. I'm going to miss you, brother. I am. He can take you and transplant you wherever he wants to do it. It's his garden, right? It's his garden. But until he does thrive where you are, you'll find yourself serving wherever you go. So live without hesitation in verse 4. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. The merchant, the farmer, they wait for circumstances to be ideal, then they'll never get anything done. There is this contention between hesitation and diligence, right? The wind is never right for the sower. The clouds are never right for the reapers. There's this caution here that Solomon gives us about being hyper-conscientious. Overthink everything. Don't wait for conditions that will never exist. We keep waiting for the perfect to happen, but the perfect is never going to happen, and after all that is said and done, there's usually more said than done. We spend more talking about how we're going to live life than actually living the life that we have. I took it to heart after my accident because I asked the doctor when they finally pulled all the tubes out of me and I could eat and drink and stuff on my own, and I asked the doctor, so, so what can I have? And he says, Steve, you're alive. You can have anything you want. Coke, doesn't matter. Just enjoy being alive. But I took that with deeper meaning for myself, spiritually speaking. You're alive. Therefore, there's things to be done. Right? To live as Christ, to die is gain. Until I go, there's living to be done for Christ. There's ministry to be done. There's fruit to be produced. There's never retirement as a Christian. We know this. And yet sometimes we do more talking than doing. If you're looking for an excuse for not doing anything, right, it's easy to find one. Proverbs, right, there's a lion at the end of my bed. How many times does that keep you from getting out of bed, right? This is why I think the Lord has me suffer certain things I can't. Stay that comfortable that long. There's a lion in the square. I can't go out the door. There's always something. We can find reasons for not doing, right? We can excuse ourselves in so many ways. And this isn't against careful observation about our surrounding conditions, but it's about waiting for perfect conditions that are never going to come, and then we find ourselves inactive. If you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to join one, because you're never going to find one. I said this to a brother, and he was sort of shocked, and he says, What, you don't think your church is perfect? No, because we're all here. If we were perfect, we'd be in glory with God, because that's the only place where true perfection is. If you're looking for a permanent, perfect ministry, then you'll never serve in one, ever, because you're never going to find one. If you're waiting for a perfect ministry to come around before you get behind it and support it, good luck. (laughs) You're never going to find one. There's always going to be flaws somewhere because we're involved. Amen? If you're waiting until you have enough money to live on, you'll never give because you'll never have enough. Always be just one more dollar as Rockefeller said. If we're waiting for a certain amount to be in the bank before you have children, you're never going to have kids. See? Over and over in our life we face this, right? So the exhortation comes in verse 5, live submissively. Just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. So I found this statement and I thought it was really interesting. Don't try to unscrew the inscrutable. We saw this in chapter 1. We saw this again in chapter 7. There are things that are bent that we can't straighten. There are things that are twisted that we will never untwist. It's God at work. We can't undo that. And they go on to say, because it leads us to being overly cautious and paralyzed. You don't have to have everything figured out. Just trust God to work. So many things that we wouldn't do in life, right? So many ways we hold back. We may know the general plan of God, but beyond that knowledge, we don't know the details of what God is doing in everyday life. There's God working in the hearts of people around you, and you don't even know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. And we'll never be a part of that if we don't step out and just get involved. (laughs) Don't ever try to outguess God and his works. You'll never guess what God is doing. (laughs) Never. Places where I thought there's no way that God is at work here. I have found that over my lifetime, those that he has graciously used me to lead to Christ, those who were the most antithetical and, and in such opposition, high-handed, raised the fist, I hate God and I don't want to surrender my life to him, I found, right, that God was so at work in their life. Those who were in greatest opposition to the truth, I found that God was working there. Did everyone surrender their life to God? No. But quite of them have. It is enough to know the broad spectrum of his plan. It takes faith to minister and leave the results to God. We don't control the outcome on anything. We think we do. We just need to be faithful in doing what we're supposed to do. Right? I know what I have to do every morning when I get up. Evangelize, edify. That's it. It's that simple and that complex. That's it. I leave the outcome to God. I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So the one who planted, and the one who water are nothing, only God who causes the growth. Right? The outcome isn't mine. <laughs> isn't that releasing when you are witness to somebody? The outcome is not up to you. Doesn't matter how perfect you are. Take that into parenting, right? (laughs) He wants us to abide in him, not to to be comfortable, risk-free life, but to bear fruit and to have a productive life. So live diligently then. Literally, he says in verse 6, withhold not your hand. Be diligent morning until evening and let the results, the success, the failure, rest in the hand of God. Do your best. I know this sounds cheesy. Do your best and let God take care of the rest. But it's true, right? I'm sure it's on a plaque somewhere. This final thought is this. And Solomon ends us with this in verse six Sow seed in the morning and in the evening, all day long, every day, through all the seasons of life, as a teenager, as a retired grandparent. When you feel like it and when you don't feel like it, sow that seed. When it's easy and when it's not easy, when there's risk involved, there's dangers, right? There's hazards. Sow that seed anyway, because you have no idea what God is going to do with that, right? Just sow the seed. Solomon's exhortation to us, live life, live life, glorify God, and walk by faith, not by, not by sight. Robert, would you close in prayer, brother?